So we begin a new series today called Forward in Faith, which is also the name of a campaign that we started. We officially kind of kicked it off uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, I shared a few uh, words about, uh, you know, how the Lord had led our family in this area. We, as you may or may not know, some of our guests may not know, we are in the process of remodeling our facilities, and we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks how we believe God is leading us to step out in faith and and in order to accomplish this and uh, to fund this project. Uh, but we're starting a series today uh, where we're going to talk about what I believe God is going to teach us through this and wants to teach us through this. And really the purpose of this series is that we're moving forward according to God's will and building according to God's call. Uh, you know, it is what he is, this is where he's led us as a church. We've talked a lot about that. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, you heard from me two weeks ago, and now today you get to hear uh, from Bob White, who is our campaign director slash finance committee chairman, which also carries with it the title of trustee, right? So, uh, uh, but Bob is leading our steering committee uh, in this, and, and today he's going to come and he's going to share uh, for a few minutes um, how God's working in his life through this. So, Bob, if you would come, and we will listen eagerly. Thank you. So back in February, when your Ford and Faith Steering Committee first got together with our uh, giving campaign consultant, he told us something that was a surprise to me and I think a surprise to the whole committee, and that is in his approximately 30 years of doing these campaigns, he's had pastors come to him after the campaign. Now, this is a fundraising campaign, right? Pastors come to him and say, that was the greatest revival our church ever had. That, that fundraising campaign was the greatest revival. And that's what your committee believes God is doing here at Wall Highway. That's what we're expecting and praying for and looking forward to. And we want to be part of it. The committee wants to be part of it. And my wife and I want to be part of it. We don't want to miss it. And so that's why we're making a commitment to this campaign. So I got a weird sense of humor, okay? And I know what some of you are thinking right now, okay? But that aside, I'll admit to the sense of humor part, okay? So back in, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago maybe, I was sitting in the basement reading Psalms, 50th Psalm, and God showed me a verse that caused me to literally laugh out loud. And I'm, when I say literally, I mean it literally. I really laughed out loud, not the way literally gets used these days. But... but uh, let me read it to you. You see if you catch the verse. may not be as funny to you as it is to me. <laughs> Psalms 50, verse 7. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. 
and call on me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you will honor me. Verse 12 cracks me up. If I were hungry, I wouldn't even bother to tell you. Not a thing you can do about it. Bob's weird paraphrase of that is God says, Bob, I don't need your money. Because, you know, and that's not a surprise to you, and it's not a surprise to me that God doesn't need our money. But I need a reminder sometimes that money's important to me, right? When I carry it with me, I carry it in a wallet in the back pocket so that you can't get to it and that sort of thing, right? When I pay for lunch, I'm going to use a credit card. When they give me that credit card back, it's going in the wallet in a very specific spot so I know it's there. And I'm going to check and make sure that credit card's in the right spot because money's important to me. And it is probably is to you. And okay, it should be. But I need a reminder sometimes that money's not important to God. He doesn't care about money. He cares about me. And he cares about you. We're important to God. And so I need a reminder that while God could choose a million different ways to pay for this renovation that this, the renovation team is doing a great job on. He could choose a million different ways to pay for that, but the way he's chosen is to let me be a part of it and to let you be a part of it because he knows that's what's best for me, is to pray to him and to obey him and that, because that's the way he grows us, right? Through faith in him and being obedient to him, we grow and that's what's good for us, so he lets us be a part of it. And so that's why Ann and I, we want to be a part of it. We want to be revived through it. When we prayed a couple of three months ago about our commitment, we came up with a number that we thought was what God was saying was the right number. And then tax season came along, and God reminded us that, uh, you know, this is really a tax-deductible gift, so you're really not making as big a sacrifice as you were thinking you were. So we went back and adjusted it for the taxes, and that's our commitment, and may we be revived through it, may Wall Highway be revived through it, and may God be glorified through it. Thank you, Bob. Well, uh, you're going to hear stories from different individuals over the next couple of weeks, and and what I love about those is to hear how God is working individually in each person's life and uniquely in each person's life, you know. And that, that's really, you know, the, the primary purpose, yes, of course, we have to pay for a building. I mean, that's, that's obvious. But we all believe, as Bob shared, that the primary purpose in this is that God is calling us to take a step of faith and, and calling us uh, to stretch us so that we can grow. And so this morning, I want to talk about that and more, and really looking at what we are doing. It is a, this is a new beginning here, right? This is a new day, um, and, and we are moving forward together, taking a step of faith that we believe God is calling us to take. And so why are we doing that? Um, for those of you that may not know what we're doing. Maybe you're new or, or maybe you're, you're not and you're still kind of asking that question, why are we doing what we're doing and why are we doing it now? And, and that's, that's the title of today's message. And I just want to kind of dive a little deeper into that and talk about um, the reasons we are being called, I believe, to take this step. And, and what I want to do is look at, look at it from the perspective of, of what takes place here in this building. In the building itself, it's a building, right? I mean, that's all it is. 
It's not the same as the temple in the Old Testament, but it is still a place where God's people come together. And so what takes place in this building that makes it important? The building itself, you know, is just, you know, sheetrock and wood and metal, but it's the ministry that takes place here. And so let's, over the next few minutes, just explore what we do when we come here uh, from kind of a 30,000-foot perspective. I mean, there's a lot that goes on here, but we want to want to explore that. And the first thing that comes to mind is that we gather here as God's people to experience the presence of God, to meet with God. That's why we come here every Sunday. That's why we're here now, right? We come here because we have a desire and we're called to, Scripture calls us to gather together, and, and that is, you know, God's design for His church is that you meet together corporately, and then you meet in small groups, and you build relationships, accountability relationships that go on outside of the building. Uh, but we do have a place where we come together, and we meet God. And God's presence is manifested in this place I believe, in a special and unique way when God's people come together. And the verse we refer to uh, for this is Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Now, the context of this verse is interesting. The context of this is church discipline. What a great reminder, right? When you're correcting somebody that you remember that God, you're in the presence of God. Uh, we gather here to experience God's presence. And when two or more people come together... Uh, We need to to, to always be mindful of God's presence. That's whether we're practicing church discipline or worshiping or coming together uh, to fellowship, whatever, whatever ministry, whatever activity we are gathering together to do, we always need to be mindful that we are in the presence of God. That's a, that's a reminder for us individually. I mean, he's with us always, but since he's with us always, and this verse specifically says, where two or more are gathered, I'm there, then that leads me to believe, and I don't believe it's drawing something from Scripture that's not there. It leads me to believe that God's presence is manifested in a special way when his, his people come together in his name. You hear that phrase, in his name, quite a bit, don't you? And, and we'll talk a little bit about how that relates to prayer. But, uh, you know, as, tonight at the, the Association uh, Prayer and Evangelism Conference, I'm going to talk about that uh, in detail. But, you know, it, it is a special manifestation of God's presence uh, when we come together. And this is where we gather. Now, the building itself is... is, is important not because of what it is but because this is the place where we gather together to experience God's presence in his name it's not the main thing the building is not but it is important right I mean where we gather is important God has always provided a place where his people are to meet and worship him if you want to you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12 we're going to look at several texts this morning but this is one that we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 12 verses 5 through 7 some of you are familiar with this because you uh, discussed this someone gave a devotion about this in your connection group but we're going to look at it together this morning beginning in verse 5 Instead, you must turn to the place Yahweh your God chooses from all of your tribes to put his name for his dwelling and go there. You are to bring there your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tenths, that's the tithe, and personal contributions. 
your vow offerings and free will offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. You will eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice with your household and everything that you do because the Lord your God has blessed you. We have a place where, and God's people have always, he's provided places regardless of where they were, he's provided places for them to meet with him. Now that place has changed throughout scripture depending on where the people of God were, depending on uh, old covenant versus new covenant. But the, the fact that God has, has provided and continues to provide, that hasn't changed. He continues to provide places for his people to worship. And we can see throughout scripture different places, special places of worship in scripture that God provided. Uh, immediately think of the altar, the patriarchs uh, would build altars uh, to experience the presence of God uh, and to offer sacrifice and, 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 and to, to be with their heavenly father. And then we see in uh, the wilderness wanderings, the nation of Israel, they built a tabernacle so that they could meet with God, a special place of worship in the, that, that, they would, uh, that they would have to meet with God while they were wandering. Remember, they were very mobile, uh, but yet while they were in the wilderness, they, would, they had the tabernacle that they would set up. And then, of course, once they entered the promised land, God's people, they built the temple. Uh, eventually, they built the temple. And that was the place where, and all of those were the place where God, his presence would dwell. And so the people of God would go to be with God in those places. And we'll see a difference now, New Testament, but nonetheless, there was a place. And then we also see synagogues in scripture where people would gather together, uh, the scriptures would be taught, uh, they would assemble for uh, the, the teaching of scriptures uh, to be to, to learn about God, to, to, to be with him. And so now, though, we have post-crucifixion, resurrection, we have the church, right? And the church, when we hear the word church, we think building, but really, what is the church? We are the church, right? You know, used to, tabernacle, temple, Ark of the Covenant, that's where you went. The high priest would go in, the Holy of Holies, on behalf of the people. That's where the presence of God dwelt. And, and, and the, the journeying of the nation of Israel, you had the, the, um, the pillar of fire by day, the cloud, I mean, the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory going ahead of the nation of Israel. But now, as God's people under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We are the church. And so, understanding that we are the church, it puts the church in a little bit different perspective. But, but the, it, it continues to be important, even in the New Covenant, even in the New Testament church, 21st century, uh, to have a place where we come together and meet with God, because we are still called, if you look at the New Testament model, to gather together corporately. Uh, for the purpose of worship, discipleship, fellowship, ministry, evangelism, all of those things, we come together and then we go out uh, and, and share the gospel. We go out and minister. Ministry takes place in this building. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. We are challenged to remain faithful, is what the author of Hebrews is pointing out there. To remain faithful, to put our hope in Christ, to rely on God's faithfulness. And then verse 24, let us be concerned about one another 
to promote love and good works. So we come together. We're challenged to be faithful, which we need each other to do that. But then we're called to fellowship with other believers. You know, let us be concerned about one another. Promote love, good works. We fellowship with other believers. And as we do, we put others and their needs above ourselves. We should be more concerned with others than we should be ourselves. And when we come together, we should be looking out for the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging each other. In order to do that, we have to at some point come together, right? Yes, we should have relationships where we share our lives outside of this building, but we also come together for the purpose of fellowship and encouragement and worship. That's why verse 25 is there. Not staying away from your worship meeting, as some habitually do. Why? Because you need those relationships. We need those connections. But encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, we need each other no matter what. It's God's plan. It's God's design. I don't care whether you're an introvert, an extrovert. You need relationships. You need to share your life with somebody. And the harder it gets out there, the more we need each other in here. Um, because it's hard to live for the Lord, especially in our day and time and in our culture. And really, it's not that much different than it was in the first century, some of the things that they dealt with in that culture. We need each other. And even the, the, if you believe we're in the end times, well, that verse especially applies. And the closer we get, regardless of whether the end times, whether Jesus comes back tomorrow or 100 years from now, we're closer today than we were yesterday. So as time draws closer, we need each other more. And we need to draw together and we need to come together. We are to gather together regularly to encourage each other and to do that continuously. No, it doesn't just take place here, but it starts here, and it needs to occur here regularly. You know, it's interesting to note here in these verses that the emphasis here is not on what I get from the assembly, but what I put into the assembly, what I give to others, my time and serving others and putting others' needs above my own. There's a story, you know, I've shared uh, uh, when I first started out in ministry, I served under a guy in recreation ministry, uh, a guy named Reggie. And I want to tell you a story about two Reggies, all right? I'll try not to get them confused, but if you forget, one of them's named Reggie, the other one's named Reggie. But there are two Reggies in my home church, one that I served with and one that, I mean, he was there my whole life and his family had been in the church for years and and um, the, the Reggie that I served with, he, he had come to the church. Um, he, was not, he didn't grow up there, and he served on staff there. And, and, and the Reggie, the other Reggie, and his family kind of took him in. He lived a long way off, and he, they basically gave him a key to their house and said, whenever you want to stay here, if you're at the church late, you just come, you stay. And, and Reggie, the Reggie that I worked with, one of the things I noticed about him immediately um, when I started working with him, was that he just had a servant's heart. I mean, he was always going above and beyond to help other people. And when he left and I took over uh, the, the director's role there, he told me, pray for a servant's heart. And one time he told me a story, and I'll never forget that story. And, and, and he learned service even more from the other Reggie. He said, you know, they had taken him in, given him a place to sleep whenever he needed it. They, had, they were always doing stuff for him and, and, you know, taking him out to eat, bringing him stuff and, and just taking care of him. He was in college. He was young. And they just kind of took him under their wing. That family did. He said, one day I was in the, the store, the department store, and I had a, 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 some clothes that I was buying. 
He said, I was getting ready to check out, and I looked ahead, and I saw the other Reggie in the checkout line. And he said, I hid, because I knew if he saw me, he would want to buy my clothes. He said, I had money, I could pay for them, and I didn't want him to have to do that. And so he kind of hid, but sure enough, the other Reggie saw him. He said, hey, Reggie, come up here. Get in here. Get in line. He said, I just kind of him hauled around. I went up there, and he said, Reggie, don't buy my clothes. I've got money. I've got money. I can do it. You don't need to buy my clothes. And he said, he said, Reggie looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, let me serve you. Don't rob me of the joy of serving you. He said, that moment I learned a lesson, that there's more joy in giving than there is receiving. And, and boy, he lived it too. I mean, uh, valuable, a lesson learned for sure. And that's something that we're all called to do is to put others above ourselves. And there's joy in that. And there's fellowship in that that really can't be achieved in other ways. And that's what Hebrews chapter 10 is calling us to. In verse 25, it'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out, you know, not forsaking the assembly Faithfulness in church attendance in and of itself is an encouragement to others, right? And an example to others uh, to be faithful themselves. Paul gives us, in addition to that, we see in First in Corinthians, we've, we've heard from the author of Hebrews now in First Corinthians, Paul gives us specific instructions. Not only we to gather together, but there, there are instructions. There are, are specific things we want to accomplish and are called to accomplish. First Corinthians 14, 26, what then is the conclusion, brothers? Whenever you come together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, another language or an interpretation. All things must be done for edification. Now, that verse gives us just a cameo picture of worship in the first century. Granted, methods have changed. We do things a little different, and that's okay. Methods are going to change. The message doesn't change. Methods may change, but one thing that has not changed is that we're called to come together as God's people. And there are certain things that we should do when we come together. We should worship through songs. We should give testimony. We should teach the word. And, and, and the word should be the focal point. Christ, his word, his revelation to us. God, his revelation to man. And God is at the center of our worship, and he deserves all of our affection. Worship is the full affection of our hearts, the complete attention of our minds, and we put our minds on him and his word to us. And, and so there are some things that, that don't change. We, you know, the type of music or the way we do things may change, but we are still called to come together. And when we look back again, Deuteronomy chapter 12, the people of God who loved the Lord in Moses' day, they gave their best to build, build the tabernacle. And yes, the church is us. It's not the building, but where we go, where we meet is important. And should we, as 21st century Christians who have the Holy Spirit living within us, should we give anything less than our best for the place that we come to meet with our Lord and Savior? The building itself, it's not sacred, okay? But what goes on here is. And we should have a certain amount of respect for that. God deserves our best. He deserves to be glorified, not only with our lives and what we do, but the resources that he gives us to use for his glory. The second thing that I want to talk about that we do here is encouragement and fellowship. We come to here to worship God. We also come here for encouragement and fellowship, right? We've talked a little bit about that. Let's talk just a little bit more. Um, again, Hebrews ten twenty four. Let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. We should have deep, sincere concern for each other 
And then we should practice love. Love is a verb. We practice love and good works. Not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now let's look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Talks about another, another important thing that we do each other, together, in relationship with each other. Verse 1, brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. What's that talking about? Yes, it's talking about correction. That's talking about accountability, right? One of the reasons we come together as God's people is for the purpose of accountability. We can't do this alone. You and I cannot live the Christian life alone. We need each other. We need to encourage one another. We need to hold each other accountability. Then verse 2, carry one another's burdens, and this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So, you know, in verse 1, we come together. We, we've already established we come together for encouragement, right? But we also come together for the purpose of accountability. And then carry one another's burdens, verse 2. People come here looking for hope and looking for help. And all of us at some point in our lives have dragged ourselves in here on a Sunday morning looking for some form of encouragement. You know, we, we need each other, and we need to share our burdens with one another. Just like we can't live for the Lord alone, we need accountability. We are not asked, we can't, and we're not even asked to carry our burdens alone. We have each other. God is, it's one of the beautiful things about the, the, the body of Christ is that we are given the privilege of sharing our lives with other people so that we don't have to do it alone. And we know that people will be praying for us. I'm going to tell you, folks, um, in the past two weeks, our family has been in, experiencing intense spiritual warfare, I believe. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I was under the weather some last week. My dad Praise the Lord, went home from the hospital yesterday. But he was in the hospital with COVID and, and, and very serious condition for a while. And there's some other things that, that I'm not going to mention. But last week, when Dad was starting to get bad, we shared prayer requests here at my home church, the church that I came, to from, came from to here, rather, I'll get it right. And, and, and constantly, people were texting me, I'm praying for your dad, I'm praying for your dad, catching checking up on your dad, checking up on you. And, and I'm going to tell you, without that, knowing that prayer warriors were out there praying for me, praying specifically for my dad and my mom, I don't know how well I would have managed, honestly. But having that, having that fellowship, knowing, not, it's not just lip service, knowing that people were going to battle for me and my family on their knees. Boy, that, that, I don't know how you make it in life without that. Uh, and I want to thank you for doing that. And, and again, my dad's at home, and he's still got some recovery, but he's doing well. But that's what we're called to do for each other, right? We're called to carry each other's burdens. We don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. If you're here today and you're looking for hope, you're looking for help, I don't have all the answers to the questions you have, but I can point you to the person that does and to the person who will love you more than anybody else ever has or ever will, and we want to love you in his name. We want to offer you encouragement. We want to carry your burdens with you. We want to walk alongside you, and that's one of the reasons that we gather together. Uh, Y'all are familiar with the Peanuts comic strip, right? 
In one of the, the comic strips, Lucy asked Charlie Brown, why are we here on earth? And Charlie says, to make other ha- others happy. And she thinks about that for a moment. Y'all know the relationship between Lucy and Charlie, right? Always pulling the ball out from underneath him and all that kind of stuff. So maybe Lucy doesn't have others' best intentions at heart. But she thinks about it for a moment. She says, then why are other people here? <laughs> In other words, where's, where's somebody looking out for me? What do I get out of it? Again, that's the assembly. It's more about what I put into it. But what happens if we are all looking out for the other person's needs? What's natural? That's a marriage, right? If I love my wife with agape love, she loves me with agape love. I'm in it for you. I want to take care of you. I want to make sure your needs are met. If both people are doing that, what's going to happen? Well, both people's needs are going to be met. That's the same in the body of Christ. If we're all looking out for each other, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I serve you? The result is my needs are going to be met. I just shared with you how you have met my family's need in in an incredible way over the past couple of weeks. And, And so we all do that for each other. We lift each other up. The truth is if we focus on Christ and then focus on others, then we will be content and we will be satisfied. We won't be worried about what's in it for me because my needs will be met. Now think about this. Where does the building come in? The building is a means to an end, right? It's a tool. It's a resource that God gives us. It is is a place, a resource that facilitates all of what I'm talking about. We got to have a place to meet. It's a resource that facilitates sharing the gospel. Activities, ministries take place in these these facilities. The key phrase in Hebrews 10 and in Galatians 6 is the phrase, one another. Carry one another's burdens. Encourage one another. The key phrase is one another. Now think for a moment about all of the one another activities that have gone on and will go on in this place, in this church. I mean, we're, we're here today worshiping the Lord. We're focused on Christ. We're here fellowshipping with one another, right? That's one thing that takes place. Uh, think about all of the youth ministries and the children's ministries. You know, it, it just so happens you're going to hear about this date. May the 16th is an important date because that's the day that we're going to come together and we're going to share our commitments to give toward this renovation just so happens this is how it had to work on the calendar that that is also our high school senior recognition day boy that's fitting isn't it because one of the things that we're doing is renovating our youth worship area fellowship hall all of that but think about all of the activities that will go on to equip those students to go out into the world the building facilitates that it's not all about the building but it facilitates that I mean, think about all of the other things that happen here. Discipleship. I mean, I could go on and on. Evangelism. Anytime we gather together and the word of God is preached, the gospel is shared. I mean, fellowship. Fellowship with each other. All that we've just talked about. Ordinations, where we call somebody or God has called somebody into the ministry or or to serve as a deacon. And we, the church, are confirming, affirming that. Baptisms where someone has accepted Christ and we, the body of Christ, are witnessing their public profession of faith. All of the one another activities that take place. The building is a tool, it is a resource, but this is where that takes place. All of those things. Yes, it takes place outside too, but it definitely takes place here. And we need a place that will 
that will further assist in doing that. And our newly remodeled facilities will help us do that more effectively and be more inviting to people coming in. The building isn't everything, but it is something. We also want to use what God gives us in a way that pleases him. And that's where number three comes in. We gather here to practice obedience. One of the reasons we come together is because God calls us to. But then even while we're here, there are things that we're supposed to do, right? Talked about order and worship and, you know, things like that. And things that we certainly should do when we gather for the purpose of worship. Um, But one of the things we're called to do in our lives and together corporately is stewardship. That's one of the areas of obedience. And that's one of the things that we're talking about through this giving campaign. And certainly stewardship involves the tithe, giving 10% of my income to God. And that is, that's not something that that I designate. It's something that I give to the Lord and and, and storehouse giving for the the overall ministries and, and just even the business of the church, right? But then we talk about above and beyond that, you know, offerings. And that's really what this is that we're talking about. But, but stewardship is about more than money, isn't it? It's about not only my tithe, but my time and my talents. It's about giving of myself to advance the kingdom of God, using the resources that God has given me to advance the kingdom of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, talking about stewardship. A person should consider us in this way as servants of Christ and as managers of God's mysteries. In this regard, it is expected of managers that each one of them be found faithful. So what is a steward? A steward is a manager. It's someone who manages everything for his master. It's not He manages it, but he doesn't own it. And that's our lives, right? We're called to manage what God gives us. It all belongs to him. Now, this is specifically talking about the mysteries of God. What are those? Well, it's the gospel. It's the word of God. As as he reveals the truth to us, we teach it to others. It's all the mysteries of our faith, and we are to manage those properly. And we are to teach those things. We are to share the gospel, share God's word, you know, disciple others. And, And so we're called to be managers of the mysteries of God, and we're called to be good managers. And I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, a parable that Jesus tells that really illustrates this well. The principle of stewardship and managing what God has given us well. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. We'll read verses 14 through 30 together. Verse 14. For it is just like a man going on a journey. He called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two And another one, to each according to his own ability. Whatever they could handle, he knew he gave it to them. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man who earned two more, who who, with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned you five more. Verse 21, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. 
Then the man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a difficult man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what, what is yours. But his master replied to him, You evil, lazy slave. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing slave into the outer darkness in the place where we, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this parable isn't supposed to depict God as some ruthless dictator who's, you know, uh, is, is shrewd and all of that. The, the focus is on the individuals and the talents they've been given and what they do with those talents. The talents represent opportunities to use the abilities that God has given. Whatever abilities he gives us, he gives us opportunities to use those abilities to advance his kingdom. And that's what we're all called to do. You have different abilities than I. Your spiritual gifts are different than mine. And God will give us opportunities. We've been assigned ministries and our mission. And as a church, we've been given a mission according to what God has called us to do. It's our privilege to serve God and to multiply his good. So in the story, you have three servants. You have two who took what they were given and they used it to increase. They, they had a return on what they used them for. And you have one servant that went, hid his talent in the ground, didn't use it. And in the end, he ended up losing it, which is a lesson for all of us. The things that God gives us, if we don't use them, we're in danger of losing them. And so abilities that God gives us, opportunities that he gives us to serve him, all of those things, opportunities to serve God, we need to use those. And we are managers of the mysteries of God. We are managers of the opportunities that he gives us, the abilities he gives us along with the mysteries of God. And so the question that we constantly need to be asking is, what are we doing with what God has given us to serve him? And are we using them in a way that pleases him and in a way that honors him? Again, two rewarded, one lost his reward because he didn't use what God had given him. We're all different. We all have different abilities. And I do not play chess, okay? I played a few games of checkers in my day. Doesn't take a lot of skill for check. Well, it does. I'm not very good at it, but not as much as chess. Chess takes planning. It takes strategy. But I, one thing I know is that checkers are all the same, right? Every one of them, different colors, but they're shaped the same, and even depending on what you buy, the, even the little designs on them are the same. The other thing about checkers is you can only move one direction. You move, you know, diagonal, but you can only go, you know, one way, and then when, even when you get kinged, you can only go one way back, right? I mean, it's one way, that's it. That's all. They're all the same. You move one direction. Now, the thing I know about chess is a couple of things. I don't know a lot, and if I get something wrong, I'm sure somebody will tell me later, and that's fine. That's okay. But I do know that all the pieces, most of them are different, right? And, and depending on what piece you have, you know, you can move forward, you can move back. Uh, it just depends on which piece it is. Uh, for instance, I believe the knight, it can move in like an L shape or a J shape, right? I mean, how weird is that? But nonetheless, you can do that. The, uh, the bishop, right? I got that right? <laughs> I'm right? Somebody tell me if I'm wrong. 
I'm really prepared for my illustration today. Um, it can move as far as it wants, but only diagonal. I mean, it's just there are different pieces that can move different, and depending on what they are and what's available in the game, and then there are different shapes. Some are similar, but with different responsibilities. You know, I think people, a lot of people think that once you become a Christian, at least outside the church, they think that we're supposed to be more like the checkers board, right? All the same, we all act the same, we look the same. There's some truth to that, you know. But, uh, but boy, are we different too, right? But a lot of people think it was just supposed to look the same, act the same, do the same thing. But what God says is, no, you're more like the chess set. You each have different abilities and different gifts that I've given you uniquely, but then I've brought you with all your differences, all your uniqueness, I've brought you together to accomplish something great for my kingdom and my glory. And that's our responsibility then is to take what he's given us, the abilities, the mysteries that he's allowed us to understand, the gifts, and to use those and to take advantage of the opportunities that he gives us to use those things. We're given abilities, we're given opportunities, and we're also given tools and resources. Now think about this, all right? This building, in and of itself, presents us with a lot of opportunities, doesn't it? I mean, visitors, guests that come in here, the ministries that take place in this, you know, the fellowships that we're going to be able to have where we can strengthen relationships. There are plenty of opportunities, but, but God, along with the abilities, along with the opportunities, he makes resources. We say this all the time. If God calls us to do something, he'll provide the resources. We say that, don't we? And we believe that. Well, well this is one of the resources that we have. And so just like with our gifts, just like with our abilities, just like with the mysteries, we constantly need to be asking, are, what, are we managing those resources well? One of the reasons we're doing what we're doing is because we desire to do that. We desire to manage the resources God gives us. And so there is the, the stewardship side of that. Now I want you to turn again. I'm, uh, I got you going all over the place this morning, right? First Chronicles chapter 4. Because this isn't in your notes, and I skipped one earlier, but uh, I, told, I told Ben I'd let him know, and I didn't. Sorry, Ben. He hung in there pretty well. But this is not in your notes. But I think it's very applicable to what we believe God is calling us to do here. It is the prayer of Jabez. How many of you are familiar with the prayer of Jabez, right? One of the most misunderstood prayers in all of Scripture. Misinterpreted, misused, I believe, in all of Scripture, right? Look at verse 10, 1 Chronicles 4.10. Jabez called out to the God of Israel... If only you would bless me, extend my border, let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will not cause any pain. And God granted his request. So God gave, God answered his request. Jabez said, God, I want more land. Please give me more land. God granted his request. Now, many people think that Jabez is simply referring to physical land, wealth, health and wealth. And many people take this and run with it and say, if I pray for wealth, God will give it to me. He gave it to Jabez, he'll give it to me. But if you really take a close look at this, the context, we see the lineage of Jacob. So in the context of Jacob's lineage, he asks for this. Now, why would he do that? Why would he want increased territory? It's not about the land. I mean, yes, God gave him more land. 
which land equaled wealth. But God saw Jabez's heart. The reason Jabez wanted increased territory was because he wanted a bigger family. And the reason he wanted a bigger family was because he wanted to influence his territory, the people in it, for the kingdom of God. His desire was not health and wealth. His desire was, I want to point people to you. I want my family, generation after generation after generation, to be influenced. I want to claim generations for the kingdom of God. That was his desire. And so he, in order to do that, he said, God increased my territory, and God granted his request. Now, this is part of our territory, right? I mean, our territory goes beyond the walls, yes, but this is part of our territory. We have to constantly ask, are we using what we have in a way that pleases God? One way to look at this is that, you know, the building just needs work, right? You've heard me talk about that. You've heard plenty talk about that. I'm not going to talk about that a ton today, but it's obvious. I mean, we need to take care of what we have, and there's attention that needs to be given to this place. I mean, that's just obvious. And, And we believe, though, that along with that, that God is calling us to expand our territory a little bit. We're not building a new building, but we are expanding what we have. We're updating what we have. What's the purpose in that? Yeah, it's going to be great to have nice new stuff, but the purpose in that is so that we can use what we have to influence people for the kingdom of God. That's our desire. That's why we're doing this, and and, and that's what I believe we're called to do. Just like Jabez, more space equals more people, which equals more influence. That's what we want, and that's what we believe God wants us to do. So that's part of it. But there's another side to this, all right? I don't want us to miss this, because this is important. You've heard Bob speak of it. You've heard me refer to it. There's a spiritual side to this. Just as important as any physical improvements we do, any actual money that we raise through this, I believe God is calling us to take a step of faith. And by stepping out in faith, we will be stretched. We will have to depend on God. And we, he will prove faithful. And if we respond in faithfulness, we will grow in ways that we would not otherwise. That's my desire for our church through this. Just like Bob said, that we experience revival through this. That we see God work in incredible ways. You know, it's interesting, a couple of weeks ago, I, I've, I've shared with you my little CBR group that I'm a part of, our CBR journals. We do Bible study, um, and it's something we make available to the whole church, and I've got a little group of guys, and, um, and one of those guys is Mike Abbott. Mike is here, and uh, he is heading up our renovation team, and he pointed this out. You know, I read it too, and he beat me to the punch, I think. He pointed this out, but Isaiah chapter 54, we're, we're in Isaiah, and it came up a few weeks ago. As, as we're in the, the throes, in the middle of all of this. And I want to read you verses 2 and 3. You know, of course, this is the challenge to the nation of Israel. God's people, enlarge the side of your tent. Let your tent curtains be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your ropes and drive your pegs deep. For you will spread out to the right and to the left and your descendants will dispossess nations and inhabit the desolate cities. I love the way the New Living Translation translates verse 3. Enlarge your tent, he's saying. Make your tent bigger. Make room, is what God is saying. Then verse 3, for soon you will be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. In a sense, God is, I believe, calling us to enlarge our tent a little bit. Why? 
because I believe he's going to give us an opportunity. You know, one of the reasons that my family has been experiencing spiritual warfare lately, because I believe we're on the verge of something God-sized and kingdom-focused that is going to be incredible. This is part of it. It's not all of it, but this is part of it. God is saying, enlarge, step out in faith. Enlarge your tent, because guess what? I'm going to give you opportunities that you've never had. Now, I'm not talking about just numbers. Yes, I hope people are falling out the windows here pretty soon, okay? But, but that's only because the more people who are here, the more people we get to tell about Jesus. And the more people we get to show that God has a plan for their life that is good and better than anything else they will experience in this life. More space equals more people, which means more influence for the kingdom of God. That's what this is all about. And I believe that was confirmed in Isaiah 54. And God has confirmed it in several ways. You go back to Deuteronomy chapter 12, the people, the Hebrew people offered animal sacrifices. You know, they, they look forward in faith to the coming Messiah. We look back to the, the Messiah and we, we, we operate in faith. We step out in faith to increase it's relational faith, right? We increase our faith and grow in our relationship with God. We don't need a high priest anymore. We have direct access to God, but we grow in faith. But we're also looking forward to something that God has planned for us. It's his leadership that has brought us to this place to minister in his name. It's God's leadership that will allow us to continue to provide necessary facilities to minister to our community. And it's God's leadership that will allow us to respond in an overwhelming manner through sacrificial giving that will stretch us and will stretch us beyond probably what we've been stretched before, but as a result will grow us in ways that possibly we've never grown before. The vision's been cast. God has called us to take this step of faith together. It's up to us, though, just like it's up to those to manage those talents. Well, it's up to us to respond in a way. And here's what we're challenging. We're not saying, hey, give X amount of dollars. No, we're saying pray and obey. Ask God what he wants you to do as a part of all of this, and then obey. The question is, will we trust him? Will we step out in faith? And one of the scariest things that I've ever done in my life was going on a mission trip to China in 2009. I'd never been on an overseas mission trip. I'd been out of the country once, and that was basically, I was on a, a trip, a youth trip, and I stepped across the Mexican border, or rode across the Mexican border just for sightseeing. That was it. But God called our church, the little church I was pastoring in, in, uh, in Rimlap, Alabama, Pinson, just outside of Birmingham, Trustful, and called us. We had some missionaries from the church that were over there and called a small group of us to go to China. And there were many obstacles along the way, a lot of spiritual warfare surrounding that. And again, I, I'm, I was scared for a lot of reasons, not the least of which being that if you know me, you know I'm not an adventure eater, and they don't eat the same things over there as we do here. <laughs> One day I was eating lunch, and the missionary said, I'm not going to tell you what this is till after you eat it. Well, I ate it. Turns out it was fish eye soup. I emailed Mandy. Her response was, what have you, what, who are you, and what have you done with my husband? Because she knows that I don't eat that kind of stuff. But we went. And we overcame obstacles, and we trusted God, and he provided the finances, the resources, the whole thing. And we got there, and through that experience, God opened up a whole new world of ministry to me that I'd never seen before. Never experienced anything like that. Sitting in a dirt floor on a little wooden block while the missionary, in a language I didn't understand, was teaching a new convert about Jesus. We sat there for an hour. He would have stayed there for six more on that little wooden block had we not had somebody else we had to go see. 
and just completely changed my perspective on life and ministry. Something else happened through that. I didn't know it at the time, but God planted a seed in my heart that would also be planted in my wife's heart to one day adopt a child from there. God used that. Something I never would have imagined had I not taken that step of faith to go to a country I'd never been and to eat food that is, yes, strange and weird and different. I would have never seen that side of the world, that ministry that was taking place and possibly not been able to experience the joys, the challenges, all that comes with the expansion of our family. We literally enlarged our tent, and God blessed it. Now, let me ask you, what is it that God has in front of us? I don't know exactly, but I believe it's something big. I believe it's something God-sized and something that will have great kingdom impact. The building's not everything. Don't mistake this message or what you hear for the next few weeks. That's not what we're saying. But it is part of it. And this is a step of faith I believe God's calling us to take. But if we take it, man, what does God have in store for us? I can't wait to find out, and I hope we get to see it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for your message that you've given us. Thank you for calling us to step out, to stretch our, our faith. Thank you for stretching us. You don't have to do that, but you do it for our benefit. You do it so that we'll grow in you. You do it so that we will experience your love and your provisions and your sufficiency, your grace that is sufficient. And through that, through dependence on you, we get to grow in our relationship with you. And of course, that's not possible, Lord, if we don't know you. If we haven't received the salvation that's available through your son, Jesus. Jesus, you died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. You gave your life so that we could be forgiven. The only way to heaven, the only way to the Father is through you. And I pray that if there's somebody here today or at home that doesn't know you, that they would reach out, either come during this time of invitation or, or reach out through email to ask the questions that they need to ask about how to accept you and allow us to counsel them and to point them toward you. For those of us who know you, Lord, setting aside offerings and buildings, what is it that you're calling us individually to do? What is it that you're calling us? What areas are you calling us to step out in faith individually and then corporately as we, we take this step, Lord, I pray that you would continue to affirm and reaffirm and that you would provide and that we would trust you and that we would be prepared for what it is that you have for us in the future. Lord, however you've called us to respond, you may be calling some just to spend a few moments at the altar praying. You may be leading others to make other decisions, whether it's church membership or rededication or, or whatever it is. Lord, I pray that we would just listen to your voice and that we would obey. In Jesus' name, amen.